Good afternoon. Great to be together. Um, I'm really excited about being able to share some things with you this afternoon. First of all, let me say, I haven't been to Lower Early for a hundred years. <laughs> I said that to somebody at work and I had to explain what hyperbole means. That's hyperbole. <laughs> but it's really exciting to be with you and it's great to see everybody again. But I want to say a particular welcome to Kun and Julie. Rudy and Mom and Dad are here. Last time. Last time, couldn't choose when we had a rather red face. I went to South Africa, I went to a wedding, and I got in the sun, and they think I just have a tomato colored face. So it's good for them to see me with a normal face again. <laughs> Going that way. <laughs> Amen. But anyway, we're going to talk about spiritual maturity. I was thinking about what to share today. I started out somewhere. Ended somewhere else. I ended up with spiritual maturity. And on route, we're going to talk about beach route, badminton, and broken locks. Okay. Tell us. Tell us, yeah, indeed. So, spiritual maturity, what does it mean to be mature? I've got control of the slides. Growing up, growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. You know, um, funny, there's, there's another picture that goes with, it, with that um, particular catchphrase, which has got an old lady tripping up a young person as they go by. I think that's my wife. <laughs> you can see it. You can see the devilish look in her face as she sort of trips and she goes by. Sort of thing. But you know, growing up, that Carol will never truly grow up. <laughs> Eternal youth. Yeah, it's funny. Maturity. Often we think about maturity as going with age, don't we? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Something's old, it grows more mature. Mm -hmm. And even in a short while, I've noticed if I eat pizza on Saturday night, on Sunday morning it's got a little older and it tastes better. Yeah. <laughs> Things just mature with age. Mm -hmm. But spiritual maturity, I don't think it's like that entirely. It's not just age. In some ways, like Karen, Jesus encourages us to have a child-like heart. So spiritual maturity is more of a refinement. It's important for somebody who's getting a little older in years to remember that. It's not just getting old. You can be old and be very immature. I demonstrate it from time to time, but it's true. You can be old and be very immature. So we can look at a passage in the Bible. I'm going to read part of... It's actually really clever the way Malcolm did that. We read verses 1 to 10. Now we're going to carry on from Hebrews and verse chapter 5, verse 11. If it works. Okay, now, I'm going to, you're going to have to pay attention now, okay? Because I'm going to ask you to do something. Okay. So, this, I figure, well, as far as I understand it, is a letter, okay? It was written to a group of Christians. And it would have been read out. Probably, or probably would have been read out in church to a group of Christians. As they heard it, they would have felt things. They would have had feelings about what they were hearing. So I'm going to read this to you, then I'm going to ask you just for a couple of minutes to talk about yourself and say, what feelings 
would the people had as they heard this being read out? Okay, so I'll go ahead and read. It says, chapter, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's words all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and being taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is far receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorn and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, very end so that you so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inheritance, inherit what has been promised. Amen. So, just take a couple of minutes, talk to somebody next to you. How would you feel if you were hearing that letter read in church directed at you? <laughs> so, give me some feedback. Just tell me how you would feel. If you heard that, what are the feelings you might have? Grace. Rebuked. Rebuked. Sobered up. So rude. Yeah, I think maybe sort of shock. It depends on where you are in life. I mean, you could maybe start off feeling a bit angry. You know, I can tell me I'm like an infant. Sort of a bit like, are you talking to me? Who talked to you about me? <laughs> and I think, and sort of maybe it gets a bit scary in the middle because I would think, oh, because maybe I have no hope now. If it sinks in, but it's encouraging in the end. It's like, okay, so you guys are not, it's not hopeless. You can still change. Okay. Any other thoughts? I think um, yeah. I, I feel, I'm not sure I can speak to the difference between how I feel there and how people might feel now, but. Whenever something is said, it's, it's like an exhortation, isn't it? And there's a sort of, you know, um, a feeling of 
sadness, um, sad that somebody's rebuked you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got to rise above this. I mustn't get upset by this. Um, I've got to think about what's said. Um, something's wrong in me. I've obviously I've got to rise to the occasion. You know, it sort of gets you right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this sort of this feeling of not... There's almost like, I don't know how to respond, is this me, isn't it? That's the sort of thing. There's definitely a sense of rebuke. Mm. There's definitely sobriety. Mm. You know, and there's definitely that sense, yeah, being told off, is it me? Are you talking to me? You know, but I thought about this for a while. I think, like, you know, when I was um, in my 20s, I was a fairly healthy... Healthy, that's the wrong word. A fairly unhealthy smoker, okay? <laughs> I was on... <laughs> A healthy smoker, that may be an oxymoron. Yeah. Oxymoron. And I was a fairly consistent smoker. And you know, I think, and you know, it was strange because you know, you'd buy that packet of cigarettes and it would say, smoking can cause lung cancer mm-hmm. on the cigarette. You, you still buy it. I'd still smoke it. Mm-hmm. The price of cigarettes went up and up and up. I'd still find the money to buy them. I, I knew I was addicted, but I still couldn't give up. You know, and it, it, really t- it really took some fairly intense things to teach me that smoking wasn't a good idea. Eventually, they made the, the warning on the packet like, smoking kills. Do you know what I mean? There is no half measure here. Smoke is not bad for your health, it kills. You know? They put the price of cigarettes so much that you know you just couldn't afford them. That you know it became so obvious that people shouldn't smoke, and what I think a lot less people smoke now. But it needed an intensity of the warning to make people realise where they were at when they smoked. I think in some ways here the Hebrew writer is trying to make this really urgent call to them. He's really making the point blunt. You know, then you're going to spiritually die if you don't change something. And the response, I think, should be, in many ways, at first maybe fear, defensiveness, but the long-term response, or the subsequent response, should be one, now I've got an opportunity. You know, and I think he points to become spiritually mature. That is the answer. You're immature, you need milk, not solid food. And he points out how they become mature. I'm going to go through just now three points, and it's me, so there'll be three simple points, of how I think you can become spiritually mature according to this passage in Hebrews. First of all, we're going to talk about constant use. And that doesn't mean cigarettes, okay. So, you know, I have to do a quick plug here. Tim told me to advertise our group that meets out in autumn, so people know about it. So, myself and Karen and Brenda and Chris and Caroline and Tim and Tess, we have a little group that meets now on Sundays, in the middle two Sundays each week, out in autumn. We get together a group in where Brenda lives at um, Orchard House. And we, we get together and we have a little Sunday service there. And we've been working through together the book of Acts. It's been good for me to go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of those books I feared because 
I felt all like it said was you need to just ask everybody to church all the time and that's all you should do. But you know, the book of Acts is really full of incredibly encouraging preaching and witnessing about Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But one of the things you notice about Peter is Peter often quotes the Psalms. And one of the Psalms he quotes is Psalm chapter 2. He says, he quotes this in a particular situation. He says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Because at the time Peter was preaching and the people, the people around him did not want to listen to God's message. He said, she says, and so he pointed out to them, you know, you're just like people have been for all time. You don't want to listen to God's message. You're in rebellion against God. I've read some commentaries. I found this really great quote in the book. It says, the age in which we live, however, that's the age in which we live now, however bland and accommodating it may at times appear, essentially hates, opposes and rebels against God. Historically, the Davidic king was always under threat from the surrounding world. Essentially, this reflects the world rebellion against God. Prophetically, the psalm speaks of the rejection of Jesus. You know, instinctively, we try to accommodate our own desires. You know, the world around us tries to accommodate our desires. Politicians try to make Tell us we can live the lives we want if we just vote for them. Mm. And we will, you know, they'll fulfill our desires, our desires for money, our desires for comfort, our desires for everything. You know, Christianity teaches that you can't just fulfill your own desires. And in fact, in doing so, you're rebelling against God. But that rebellion is futile. But another scripture, uh, quote says, the first duty of every soul is not, is, sorry, first duty of every soul is to find out not its freedom, but its master. Instinctively, our desire is never to be a slave. That makes sense. Yet we become enslaved to all the wrong things and we don't allow the right things to master us. You know, I, had to th I thought about some more, and then I thought about this. Okay. Anybody can guess what this is? Yeah. Raffle. Raffle. Uh, what is it? Parking readout from a blood pressure. Hey, it is readout from a blood pressure machine. That's right. They have these things now in health centres. You shove your arm in, it zoops up on your arm and this reading comes out. So, you know, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, I went to the doctors, and whenever I go to the doctors, they always check my blood pressure. They said, Tony, your blood pressure is a little high. That was a bit worrying. He said, can you go come into the centre over the next few weeks, a few times, two or three times, and check your blood pressure? That's me. <laughs> I went into the, the health centre a thousand times, <laughs> that's an exaggeration, and checked my blood pressure. Uh, and uh, <laughs> G's looking from the back saying, that's not good. No. Um, <laughs> I, I clearly in my results, I sent them off to the doctor, and she told me, and it was all right, she said, well, 
They're a little high, but you just need to check your blood pressure annually. Okay, that was, that was a consequence. But I started to worry about it. I thought, what can I do to improve my blood pressure? Ah. Karen came back from work and says, she works at a, a, a sort of um, a medical, well, what do you call it? A hospice. She said, I've been talking to the nurses, beetroot. <laughs> beetroot is your answer. Beetroot will bring your blood pressure down. So I now buy large amounts of beetroot. Brenda buys me beetroot. All my best friends bring me gifts of beetroot. <laughs> but you know, I, I still, I went in, my blood pressure still wasn't coming down. I the beetroot. I looked, then I looked up on the NHS site and it told me the things that will help to improve my blood pressure. It says, reduce the amount of salt you eat and have a generally healthy diet. Cut back on alcohol. Lose weight if you're overweight. Exercise regularly. Cut down on caffeine. Salt smoking, I did that 30 years ago, so that's okay. <laughs> Try to get at least six hours of sleep at night, which is challenging for me. But amen. You know, I suddenly realised it doesn't matter what I do. There are some very, very basic rules I need to follow. If I follow those rules, my blood pressure will be as good as it can be. I thought about that. I thought spiritually, that's true too. I may think I know what's best for me. Eating lots of beetroot. But the answers really for my life are to follow the spiritual rules that God puts in place. But those spiritual rules won't always be appealing. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Spiritual principles, the things that Jesus teach, are not always going to be easy. Hence, the nations conspire and plot in vain. You know, the world's standards are not God's standards. The world's standards on sexual morality are different to Jesus' standards. Jesus' standards on sexual morality was even to lust after a woman is to have sin in your heart if you're a man. You know, the world's standard for giving and taking is different to God's. You know, the Bible said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's more better if we give our money and be generous with what we've got than, than we try to make as much money and keep as much money as possible. Jesus' standard is consider one another more important than yourself. I say it a thousand times. Every day I get onto the tubes in London and I see hundreds of people who say, I'm going to get on the tube first. Even if I'm here last in the queue. You know, our natural instinct is to fight for ourselves. Our natural instinct is to fulfill our own sexual desires. Our next instinct is to make ourselves rich. But God's standard is totally different in those things. If we pursue those things constantly, 
as the writer of Hebrews says, then our spiritual blood pressure will be right. But it's not always easy. It's not always easy. We need each other, don't we? Do you know? You know, I, I constantly, I'm, I'm, you know, so often when we get real, we know these are not just things we can achieve. I couldn't give up smoking overnight. I remember trying to give up smoking. It was like I got through a month, then I fell over. I got through another two months, then I fell over. You know, and I went back to smoking. I was secretly smoking so people wouldn't know I was smoking, but really I hadn't given up. What's the point in that? But these battles have to be fought. We have to look, and you know, it's only through constant use of those spiritual principles that we become mature. We learn not just how not to sin, but we learn how to fight sin, how to open our lives to people, and how to let Jesus is like, how to submit our will to God's will. And through that spiritual maturity, we can avoid, you know, losing our, 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 our salvation. So that's my first point. Constant use. Next. Able to teach, able to learn. That's my badminton racket. Okay, so about... A couple of months, Karen's been playing badminton with a group of people for about two years. Uh, after two years, I finally rearranged my working circumstances so I could kind of join Karen to play badminton every Monday night. I was really excited about playing badminton till I got there. <laughs> Karen plays badminton with some people who are friends, and now my friends as well, hopefully. But you know, most of them are 765 probably to around 80. Every one of them can totally flash me, constantly. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was, you know, you start out feeling good about yourself, but after a while you find yourself swishing around in the air, then looking at the um, shuttlecock lying on the floor next to you. And you, don't, don't, you just don't know how come they always know where you're going to stand and they hit it the other way. Or they hit it at you very hard and you, and you build up this resentment. <laughs> at first that was alright, but after a while I also realised we played doubles and I felt like nobody wants to play with me because I always lose. <laughs> I even got to the point where I was at work on Monday, Monday night and things got a little tricky at work. I thought, maybe I'll just skip badminton. <laughs> I'm too busy at work. You know what I mean? I, I, slowly, I sort of, and I realised that I needed somebody to help me play badminton. You couldn't just show up and get it right. You know, and I'm slow to learn. I'm slow to learn. And so, you know, and I, I thought about that. And then I thought another situation happened at work. One last week at work on Wednesday, I was um, sitting at my desk, uh, no, I came back from lunch and there was a young lad sitting next to my desk. I looked at the guy opposite me and looked at him and he said, this is, I forgot what his name was, Dominic or something, he said, he's here on work experience. I had been given a work experience per person to look after and I had completely forgotten it. And so I was now with this guy for the next two and a half hours with no plan. <laughs> Now, the funny thing was, I thought, what do I do? 
I thought I need to teach him what I do. I've been in my job for four years. I thought, do I actually know what I do? <laughs> I don't mean as slightly as lightly as you mean. I manage a team of six people, and they do stuff, do you know what I mean? A lot of times, I don't know what that's, I don't really understand all the details of that stuff. They do it really well, I trust them, ask the right questions, tick the box, it's going well. <laughs> Suddenly, the girl who should be teaching this guy to do something, she's away on holiday. I've got to show him how to teach him something, show him something. And so I thought, I've got to try and do it. But I found out, I did know how to do it. <laughs> because I've been there for four years, and I've gone from learning to the point where I could now teach. You know, spiritually we have almost a responsibility, a responsibility to go from learning to be able to teach. Because if you know something, then that's what happens. You, you learn it eventually and you're in the position to share it with other people. And I think that's really what this passage is encouraging us to do. You know, you're slow to learn, but you ought to be able to teach. Think about what you know. Teaching people is actually a really good way of reassuring yourself of what you know. You know, I thought about this. This is, um, right, so all of my children have moved out of home. I found this picture and I get a little tearful at times. Okay, that's my, my three children when they were very young, Charlotte, Alex and Zach. They're all on mobiles of some sort. I distinctly remember each of them learning to ride their bikes. You know, as a parent, you don't question your ability to teach your children. It can be incredibly difficult. Have you ever tried? Teaching a child to ride a bike is quite an amusing experience. What it consists of is, broadly speaking, running behind them, holding the bike up, and letting go occasionally, and sit, hoping that they'll keep going. And they, they fail. And you say, well, let's try again. And you have to keep doing this, and keep doing this, and you're running along like this idiot in a car park. You know, <laughs> Letting go of a seat occasionally, but hoping that they'll get better and they'll gain that balance. But you know, you know you can teach them to ride that bike. You know they will make it. There's no question in your mind. There's no doubt. You've learned how to ride a bike yourself. You know you want your child to be able to ride the bike. So you're going to teach them. You know, I think that in this passage, the writer was really saying, you've got to that point. You know what is right. Now look around you and teach. That's the maturity that you need to have. You know, ask, I have to ask myself. I really do have to ask myself, you know, how often do I spend time trying to teach people spiritual principles that I've learned? How often does that happen? You know, I think it's easy to stand up here and for me to spout, but it's much harder to sit down with somebody and to really work through a spiritual principle that I've learned so that somebody else can truly know it. But that is maturity. 
And that is the way you reassure yourself you really know something. And that it comes from God and you can share it with somebody else. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 to 6 says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somewhere else. For each should carry their own load. We should carry our own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It tells me two things. We need instructors in our lives. But we should encourage our instructors. Instructors. We should be encouraging to each other. We should teach each other and encourage each other with the things that we are learning. You know, that is spiritual maturity. And, and finally, finally, broken locks. It says, he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him. It's talking about God. He will not. So he gets to the end of the passage and he starts to encourage them a little bit. He says, you know, you've got to change, you've got to mature, but he, God won't forget the things that you've done. But he talks about your work. Do you like work? I travel a long way to work every day. No, every day. Three days a week I stay at home, two days a week and work from home now. But I, I used to travel five days into London. It takes a long time to get there and back. I work for seven hours. When I get home, I feel like I've finished working. Where's the sofa? Where's, you know, where's the TV? <laughs> I'm going to have watch a little TV and then we're going to go to bed. And then I'll go to work the next day. You know, everything outside of my paid work, I can almost like, do I want to do that? You know, recently the, the um, lock, now what happened was that one of my children, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> opened the shed door, went in, came out, then they went somewhere and they lost the key to the shed door. So I thought, I'm like, I can't get in the shed. The same person said, don't worry, Dad, I have the answer. They broke into my shed. <laughs> So now, I've not only got a lost key, I've got a broken shed door, in effect. And so I thought, it was all right. I said, it's all right if we can just find the key. Karen said to me, why don't you just go and get one of those locks and put it on the door? One of those little things, you know, with those... Yeah. I said, because it involves effort. <laughs> I don't want to work. I work during the week. Now I've got to go around fixing shed doors. It took me three weeks to give in to the fact that I needed to order a new lock. When I ordered the new lock, this is the really good bit, it came. I unwrapped it, I found the key, I went up, and the key fit the lock. Wow. So what did I do? I didn't change the lock. I thought, I've just got it out, so I've got a new key. It works. No effort involved. Not very secure, any key, I think probably the spoon like <laughs> But not very but it will do, no effort. You know, our houses need maintaining. I know my needs, how house needs maintaining, but you know, work, I don't want to have to work. You know, I looked at, um, 
I, have, I read this translation of the Bible at home, the King James Revised Standard Version, is that a version of the Bible? Something like that. KJRSV or something like that. Okay. <laughs> I like reading it because it's really difficult to understand and it makes me think. It, it translates that verse. It says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labour of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. There's a different emphasis. This is no longer work in that sense. This is a labour of love. How do we feel about working for God's kingdom? Is it like having to fix that lock that somebody shouldn't have broken the door for anyway? Or is it a labour of love? You know, I, um, we, I used to have this push mower. I liked my push mower because it cut the grass really well. But it had several features. One of the features was that twigs would get stuck in the blades. And so constantly I have to flick my foot on the blades really hard to push this, these uh, twigs out of the, the things as they went round. Then the screws would come loose on the side. So I'd get to the end of mowing my lawn and find that the handle was no longer attached to the side of the mower. I would lovingly go and search for my screws, put the screws back in, happily kick my, my, my little spokes as they went round. Because I liked mowing the lawn with that mower. It was a labour of love. <laughs> I liked the result. I didn't resent any effort it took to mow the lawn with that mower. I just loved that mower. Now we have a petrol mower, it's boring. But this mower, you know, it cut it so well, it cut it so tightly, and I enjoyed it. Do you know, I think that, you know, when we work for, you know, work, work could become a dirty word. The notion of us working in the kingdom of God can almost be like, you know, we don't want to have works. We just want to, you know, be joyful and unified together and loving. But actually, we need to work together. We need to work for each other. Because, you know, it's a labour of love. We care and we want to build the kingdom of God. So, Today, I've got three simple things for you. So, what's to be mature? Three simple things about me being mature. One is to constantly be right, to, to, work, to be, work constantly to be righteous. To take God's simple principles into your life and to work with them and to let them change you. Two is to decide you, when you learn things that you're also able to teach them and share with others so that others can benefit from it, and so we can be mutually encouraged. And three, to be happy that we can work together to build the kingdom of God. Thank you very much.